This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Abby Hornacek. I'm Ben Dominich. I'm Dana Perino, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, June 12th, 2023, on Mike Emanuel. A huge story this week will be former President Trump facing charges in federal court in Miami in connection with his alleged handling of classified documents. Some Republicans say they fear there is no longer equal justice under the law. Everything's unfolding right now. We think that there's something severely wrong with our justice system. We need to get to the bottom of it. I'm Chris Foster. It's more common and profitable than ever for scammers to target victims with text messages. They keep rolling out with all these various new threats based off technology, and it's um, pretty concerning. And I am Ian Rowe. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Former President Trump is facing 37 counts in a criminal indictment in a Miami federal courtroom Tuesday. Mr. Trump over the weekend says the case smells of politics. It's no coincidence they indicted me the very same day it was revealed that the FBI hid explosive evidence that Joe Biden took a $5 million illegal bribe from Ukraine. Now, this is done. I haven't read anything about it. This would have been the biggest story in history 10 years ago. But on Fox News Sunday, former Trump Attorney General Bill Barr says Mr. Trump could be in serious trouble. It's a very detailed indictment, uh, and it's very, very damning. And this idea of presenting Trump as a victim here, a victim of a witch hunt, uh, is ridiculous. Trump attorney Alina Haba says the former president will get to present his side in court. An indictment is a one-sided document. He has a defense. The defense is real. He had the Presidential Records Act, which only he has in play. Hillary Clinton didn't have that. Biden didn't have that. Um, And we'll put that defense on. The team he's going to have will be strong and, and knows exactly what they're doing. Meanwhile, some key Republicans are pressing for prosecution of the business dealings of President Biden. I think what's most disturbing to the American people and to me is the double standard of justice that you are clearly seeing. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis is a New York Republican. We are concerned uh, that you're seeing the various agencies in this country uh, being weaponized against political opponents. And it really begs the question, if President Trump did something wrong, well, what about Hillary Clinton? What about Vice President Pence? What about President Biden? And I think that, you know, having a different standard of justice is certainly a concern. And we have to hold these agencies accountable. And so while we're, you know, unfold, everything's unfolding right now, we think that there's something severely wrong with our justice system. We need to get to the bottom of it. 
Okay, let's talk about the economy. Obviously, a principal issue for your constituents and many people around the country. Uh, a lot on the conservative side are still worried about excessive government spending. Um, do you think, as spending negotiations come up in the coming months, something could be done to address it? Yeah, I think we set a good start with the debt ceiling negotiations. As you remember, the Democrats wanted a clean debt ceiling. We refused to do that. Uh, we passed our own bill, which was a very good bill, and it gave us a seat at the negotiating table. And it made Democrats recognize that we are now one third of the government. And they can't ignore us. Uh, and as a result, what we were able to achieve was cuts. So you're seeing less money being spent next year than you did last year. You're seeing spending caps. You're seeing a total freeze of hirings for uh, new IRS agents that were going to target the middle class and small businesses in our community. And I think we laid the groundwork to also put in checks. We we did implement checks and balances so the president can't continue to just spend by issuing all these costly rules. And that's going to really set the tone going forward now uh, as we start to craft a budget and the appropriation measures. And I think what we've shown was that we were able to use our leverage to get a lot of the things that the American people were looking for. Uh, and now we need to build on that and use the appropriations process, for example, to fight to get our border secure um, and, and make sure that if we are funding border security and agents, it's to actually secure the border. It's not to continuously uh, file paperwork. But you've certainly seen a change. I mean, look, since we've taken office there, has been zero massive spending bills, right? These mm-hmm. omnibus bills that had added up to about $10 trillion in just the two years that the Democrats have control. We're here now, and we are checks and balances, and we are putting a stop to all that crazy inflationary spending. On the debt ceiling deal, a lot of Republicans I've talked to around Washington and as I travel around say they think Speaker Kevin McCarthy exceeded expectations with the deal that he was able to cut, considering the president said he wasn't going to even negotiate And yet this week he had to deal with a revolt from some of the most conservative members in your GOP conference. What about that? And what are your concerns? Well, look, as I said, we're one third of the government. And considering that we still do not have a majority control in that sense, I I thought we were able to achieve a lot considering Mm -hmm. that we are still one third of the pie. And so people want a better outcome, which I, of course, want as well. Our bill, which we passed in the House, was great. But the Senate wouldn't take it up. In fact, the Senate did nothing. They did absolutely nothing. But it gave McCarthy a seat at the table to negotiate. And because we stood firm and wouldn't accept certain things, we were able to not only prevent a default, but put us on a fiscal trajectory that is more responsible for the future. And as McCarthy's been saying over and over again, this is just the beginning. You and Congresswoman Michelle Steele recently introduced the Working Families Tax Cut Act Can you tell us a little bit about this bill and why putting forth this legislation was such a priority for you? Yeah, look, we just passed the biggest uh, savings in American history, the biggest cut. And we believe strongly that now that money needs to be returned to the taxpayer, that the money Mm -hmm. has to reflect in a savings in our middle class's taxes. And what our bill does is increase the standard deduction. And by doing that, it will lower the the taxable income for your working families. This is focused specifically on our middle class. So we felt strongly that since we did achieve the savings for the taxpayer, they need to be reflected in their next tax return. And by increasing the standard deduction, 
we will do that. Uh, my bill is is scheduled to come up for a vote in my Ways and Means Committee this week as part of our House GOP economic plan. Uh, and so there's other job creating measures in there um, that you'll see. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to get that passed out of committee uh, and then it'll go to the floor. And again, that sets up the next big uh, fight with Democrats going forward. Let's talk a bit about immigration. New York has seen a huge influx of illegal migrants being brought to the state. And recently, New York City Mayor Eric Adams suggested that New Yorkers should open their homes and churches to migrants after many hotels and some schools have become shelters as well. What are your thoughts on this proposal and the overall situation in New York State right now? Look, New York City in America has always been very generous to immigrants, welcoming to immigrants, uh, my parents included. Uh, the mm-hmm. issue becomes that it's just very unfair and wrong the way they're going about it. And I represent a community that has uh, so many different immigrant groups from around the world. And I hear from them most about how upset they are by what the president is doing with this open border policy and what our mayor is doing, forcing taxpayers to pay for the rent of these individuals who just crossed over our border last week. Uh, they know that they look, they followed the rules, they did everything right, and now they're seeing uh, individuals who did not follow laws, had no no respect or regard for our nation's policies, but also for the other immigrants who have you know, been waiting in line, trying to get through in a way that is not appropriate. Uh, so I've been saying clearly that what the mayor is doing is unconscionable, it's wrong. He should challenge this right to shelter law because he has been misinterpreting it for the last year, claiming that New York City had a, uh, were required to house uh, these individuals. It, it's not true. The right to shelter law that New York has was intended for New York citizens who are homeless that fell in a hard time. It was not meant to house citizens of other countries. It makes absolutely no sense. And I continue to urge him to challenge it. He, he just did file something in court. And we'll see what happens with that. But he challenged the right to shelter as a whole, not the fact that it's only uh It's only supposed to be for, you know, citizen New Yorkers. With that said, I think that there's a solution here, and it is for the president to obviously undo uh, the executive orders he put in place that exacerbated this crisis. When President Trump was in office, he put a number of policies in place that had stemmed the flow, that had really started to get the border under control, and this president undid them. And so I feel strongly that we should be passing our legislation out of the Senate But once again, Schumer and the Senate have not done their job. They don't want to take up our bill, but they don't want to pass their own bill either. And so we're sort of in this area where we have a president that doesn't want to do his executive orders, and we have a Senate that doesn't want to pass any border security measures. And that's very unfortunate. So sadly, I think the only options Republicans now have is to try to do something through, as I said, the budget and appropriations process to try to use our leverage there to force some changes Short of, you know, getting a new president and a Senate next year, uh, that's the only angle I see where we can be effective. Finally, I want to get you to weigh in on an alarming story. It's been revealed that China and Cuba have reached an agreement that allows China to establish an electronic eavesdropping facility in Cuba. This coming on top of suspicions that China's had a spy base in the country since 2019. Uh, While you have a lovely Greek last name, mom's side of the family is Cuban. So I think this hits close to home for you. Yeah, and it's something I have been uh, sounding the alarm for years. I mean, I've always been concerned about Cuba 
being a source and a foundation for some of these bad actors around the world. I mean, they've been doing this now with Russia for a very long time. And I think they've also had a history for China. So it's not something that's necessarily new, but it has it is raising it to an entirely new level. And mm-hmm. considering the proximity to the United States, it should be of grave concern. I mean, China, as you know, with its uh, Belt and Roads Initiative, has been positioning itself in many uh, countries that are very close to ours, particularly those in Central South America. Uh, and we need to be very concerned about that. And you know, if you're seeing this type of surveillance, whether it was the spy balloon, uh, or other activities that they're conducting, this partnership is of great concern. But what's concerning is the way our administration does not respond or did not work to prevent this. They've been playing footsie with Cuba, the communists in Cuba, you know, for the last two years. And they did it during the Obama administration, too, where they were looking to placate dictatorships, trying to visit there and, and put an embassy there and do all these things to try to placate to the communist regime instead of trying to uh, have peace through strength or trying to hold them accountable for for what could come next. So I think that we've been played here uh, by Cuba and by China and unfortunately also by Russia. And I should also note, it is a great concern because of the way that they've worked together to spread communism and socialism throughout Central and South America. One by one, you're seeing these countries turning, right? You know, Venezuela is obviously one of the more recent ones, Nicaragua, uh, Bolivia, you know, and you're seeing them turn. It's because of the influence that they are having in that region via Cuba. And uh, that's something that we should have been more proactive, prior administrations, been more proactive to try to stop that. Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis of the great state of New York, thank you so much for your time. Have a great week. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. This is Ian Rowe with your Fox News commentary coming up. The earliest recorded attempt at financial fraud is from 300 B.C., an insurance scam where a sea merchant planned to sink his boat and keep the cargo corn to sell. He was caught and drowned after being chased off the ship. Scammers have had lots of ways to get one over on people in the centuries since. Chain letters, phone calls, emails, and increasingly, text messages. Delete and block, delete and block, delete and block all day long. Jack Whipple's getting more spam texts, some just casual questions. Those are kind of insidious because it does really sound like uh, it's coming from a friend of yours. The anti-spam service RoboKiller reports Americans received more than 225 billion spam texts last year. That's up from 88 billion during the year before, with more than $20 billion in financial losses, more than double the year before. Well, I mean, it's what happens when technology evolves. Andrew Sternkey's a technology and data security expert and the founder of Dark Box Security Systems. And so what we're seeing is, uh, you know, before no one ever got you know, spam text messages on your cell phone. It was always just through email. And then, you know, the obnoxious phone calls if you had a hardline phone at the time. But with the evolving of technology, what we're starting to see is more spammers and hackers sending messages to your cell phone to, you know, start basically trying to trick you into just various nefarious things that they do, such as 
know, getting your personal identifiable information to open up different credit cards, bank accounts, whatnot, or to use your information to send fraudulent IRS filings and things like that. And if you hadn't, if you haven't had the pleasure, some of these texts will look like, "Hey, it's me. It was good to see you last week." Yada yada yada, or or something like something innocuous that that anybody that it could be anybody and then you respond and then and then you know the idea is that you get sucked in now it only takes one right i mean once the, yeah. once once the system is set up to do these you can send them to however many phone numbers at once and if you get one sucker you get one sucker and good for you right so, so another aspect of why they're doing that is to basically verify if that number is being used so if it is being used then they'll take that phone number that replied back and put it on another list to, you know, further their specific operation. So one of the best things that people can do regarding such a text is simply ignore it. And then, and then if it continues, I would either block the number and you can also forward that spam message to 7726. So if you just text it to 7726, which spells out spam, by the way, <laughs> um, that will send it to your carrier and then they will put it on their list of, of spam numbers. Got it. So, I mean, are the spoof numbers sometimes people's real numbers? Is there a risk that you could end up on a block list just because somebody used your number? No. So these tend to be, you know, completely separate numbers. So, um, so, so no, it, it wouldn't. Now, there are very few cases that will happen, but generally when we're talking about these spam sort of texts, it's not going to be a number that you, know, that you yourself is, is going to get blocked. I've got a couple of friends who sort of delight in trying to mess with the people, you know, and, and get into a conversation with them and try to waste some of their time. So you're saying that's really a bad idea because now they just know you're a real person. Exactly. Just do not engage with those individuals. Just because now they know that it is a live cell phone line, and so they can use that for other operations that they're doing. The fraud technology, will it just keep advancing? Is it just going to be whack-a-mole forever and ever and ever? Or is there some technological hope that our phones could be largely spam-free? Honestly, I think it's going to be more of the whack-a-mole concept that you just described, because a lot of these things, is it, it's reactionary. So... We always have the phone updates. So that's another thing that I always tell our clients is to make sure you always do your phone updates because within those updates are things like, hey, you know, we found a cybersecurity issue. And so we need to update our phones or devices. But basically, you know, just with the evolution of technology in general, there's always going to be new threats. That's just the way things are. But also with the involvement of technologies that we're able to spot these threats quicker. And with that, you know, it's, it's basically continuous whack. If you do make a mistake and somebody gets some of your personal information, what do you do? Is it so common now that it's easier to rectify? Right. So, uh, I mean, the first thing that I would do is change all your passwords on every online account that you use. And then just keep an eye on your bank accounts, your, your credit card information and whatnot. Also make sure that you change your username, your passwords and all that. And um, make sure you set yourself up for two-factor authentication. Uh, that's a great defense. And then I highly recommend people start using a password manager such as Bitwarden. 
Um, that way you can keep all your usernames and passwords within the password manager with only one master password. It encrypts it. And, and you don't have to worry about redoing your passwords all the time. Right. And then that way you can also have your password be WZQ347, whatever, 20 characters, and you don't have to remember it. It doesn't matter. what You can put in the most complicated thing you can think of. Correct. So, um, so those are the immediate defensive things that you can do if you were uh, taken in by a spammer or a hacker. Speaking of technology getting better to commit fraud, how concerned are you about, for one thing, being able to spoof somebody's voice now, where it is that you can, with a very small sample, you know, for example, have somebody sound like a granddaughter calling a grandmother saying, I need bail money. Yeah, I, I actually, I did hear that. That's very concerning. Obviously, with any potential thing, you need to do your due diligence and you know, ask some personal questions that you know that they would only know. That's obviously a great um, defense. But yeah, I mean, they're you know, they keep rolling out with all these various new threats based off the technology, and it, it's um, pretty concerning. Yeah, I mean, at some point, as this stuff gets better and better and better, and the voice spoofing gets better, and God forbid, video spoofing gets to the point where people look really real, you know, you're not going to, every phone call and every FaceTime, ask for, hey, what's your what's your sister's middle name? You know, I mean, right. so at some, at some point, the, the other end is going to have to provide some security. Correct. And those, you know, new security solutions are being rolled out where it can detect the fake video or, you know, everyone wants to talk about AI right now. You know, there are now tools to detect AI written essays, things like that. So unfortunately, you know, it, it is a reactive sort of a situation. And so so that is something that we have to get used to. But at the same time, there are still a lot of personal defenses that people need to understand and start using for everything that they're doing online. Again, password manager, using two-factor authentication, uh, using a VPN whenever you connect online. And, and that, so, you mean, just to explain, that just masks, gives you a different IP address than your actual IP address. Correct. That, that just helps it so, you know, you don't get targeted specifically by spammer or hacker uh, in some of their operations. Yeah. And then the other thing too is just, you know, always keep yourself abreast of the various things that are happening in the uh, hacking world. So, you know, make sure you read up on hackernews.com, things like that. So, so you're aware of the various spamming uh, operations and whatnot. All right. So password managers, fairly easy, even easier, like you said, at the, at the, basically the top of this, just don't engage. If you get something you don't know, just block it and move on with your life. Right. Um, I would, you know, only block it if you repeatedly get something because, because sometimes, you know, it could be someone who's legitimate, you know, your friend trying to reach out to you, but a lot of times, you know, they'll give a more specific information rather than, Hey, how are you doing? Are we still on for lunch today? Right. Like <laughs> Got it. Andrew yeah. Sternkey is an expert on technology and data security. He's the founder of uh, Darkbox Security Systems. That's a, a cybersecurity service that you can hire to set up and monitor and protect your yourself, your your company. I'm Andrew Sternkey, thanks for coming on. Great. Thanks for having me on. Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, President Biden welcomes NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg to the White House. They'll discuss the upcoming NATO summit in Lithuania, as well as talk about ally support for Ukraine. 
Tuesday, former President Donald Trump heads to federal court in Miami, facing an indictment on several criminal charges connected to the mishandling of classified documents at his home in Mar-a-Lago. Also Tuesday, the Federal Open Market Committee starts its two-day meeting and will issue a statement on interest rates the next day at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Thursday, it's the Library of Congress Festival of Film and Sound, a multi-day event to enjoy what they say are classic, rare, silent, and sound films from the 1920s through the early 1950s that are not available on Blu-ray or streaming services. Friday... You'll get your dancing shoes out. Boston hosting the Donna Summer Disco Party at City Hall Plaza. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Tom Graham, Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Ian Rowe. What's on your mind? What I learned about M is that we as black people are still not free. Reparations can help close the wealth gap, but instead the government and other citizens feels like they don't owe anything. For an example, they use EM to say that we are free, but when it comes to low paying jobs, mainly of colored people are working them, and most of them are hard laboring jobs, end quote. This is a verbatim written response from a black high school student who shared lessons learned from completing reparations math, the new curriculum unit being offered by the New York Times 1619 Project and the Pulitzer Center. The unit overview outlines explicit objectives to have students use different mathematical equations to, quote, suggest steps the U.S. government can take to provide financial reparations, end quote. The deliberate message intended for students that Black people are, quote, still not free, end quote, and thus are victims entitled to government payout is unconscionable. In cities across America, various reparations schemes that would make cash payments to Black Americans are being considered. Yet while there has been fervor, no program of any scale has been approved given the obstacles of fiscal reality and its violation of the Constitution, not to mention the challenge of coming up with defensible criteria for who would receive cash payments. Even California Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom, who in 2020 established the task force to develop reparation proposals for African Americans, declined to endorse the task force's delusional findings that every Black Californian should receive payment of up to $1.2 million. Throughout the reparations math curriculum, the racial wealth gap is used to justify reparations as the only solution to close that gap. The Federal Reserve 2019 Survey of Consumer Finances states that when race alone is considered, the wealth gap between black and white Americans at the median, the middle household in each community, was $164,000 in favor of whites. According to that same survey, if just family structure and education are counted, The median wealth of the average married, college-educated Black family is about 
$160,000 more than the median wealth of the average single-parent white family, nearly completely reversing the gap in favor of Blacks. The obvious implication is that there are factors beyond just race that are far more determinative of economic success for people of any race. It is pure indoctrination designed to perpetuate an ideology of Black dependency and retribution for historical and presumed present-day racial victimization. Let's teach that in history class and actually teach math in math class. I'm Ian Rowe, Senior Fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Hey, it's Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend. Join me as I share my thoughts on a wide range of topics, from sports and pop culture to politics and business. The Will Kane Podcast. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.